0: This is a sermon by Pastor Jason at Reality Church. Join us as he continues his series in Romans. Amen. It is good to be with you this morning. Really looking, been looking forward to this morning for about a month. Um, it's so awesome that we're going to be welcoming new members into our church um i love that and members who don't just want to come and hang out that's okay if that's what you want to do but they don't want to come and just hang out they want to come and dig in get their fingers moving get to work and and that's the kind of members we like to have we like to have all kinds of members but that's going to be so helpful for us and we're we're so thankful for that um Who's ready to get into the Word this morning? I am. I said last night, digging into this and looking at it, it's so awesome. Uh, I would say, to me, chapter 7 has not disappointed me in the least in Romans. There are some, I think, who avoid it because of some of the, the things that you have to challenge. But look, I love it. It's, so far, it has been so wonderful to me. I, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I mean... It's an awesome letter to the Romans. And chapter 7 is so important because Paul has, has truly hammered home, even in just what we've had so far, these essential points. And, and his look at the law is hopefully helping all of us. And my prayer is that, that we all see the beauty in the law and what it is meant to do. And I pray that that's, that's what we're all seeing. See, because we're meant to see... The law as a flashing arrow that points us to Christ. It helps us to see our sinfulness and absolute need for a Savior. And we would, that would never be made clear to us were it not for the law and its perfect, righteous requirements. We need the law. Paul clearly has a respect and love for the law, you can see it throughout all of his teachings. All of his epistles, he never once diminishes or tries to unhitch the law from the New Testament. He never does that. He has full respect for it. And I would say this even. I would say that Jesus also displayed the same kind of love for the law. For one thing, he wrote it. For another thing, he preached it. He quoted the Old Testament constantly. So we see that there is an absolute need for the law. In our lives, Now, Paul continues teaching on this in, in, in the next three verses of Romans, and these verses kind of tell us more about the relationship we have with the law from Paul's personal perspective. I love that he's going to get a little personal. He's going to make it a little bit more, I don't know, applicable, I guess, give us some, give us some thoughts on, on the application of it. But um, let's go to Romans 7. We're going to read verses 9 through 11. That's our main text this morning. Now hear the infallible inspired word of God. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, killed me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it, that it stands the test of time. It is infallible, inerrant. And God, we can count on what you say in your word, for you have truly given us a revelation of who you are and what you would have us to do. We ask you right now, Father, to remove the veil, that we may see a clear revelation of who you are through this word. Bless us with that revelation knowledge, that we may retain it and be able to use it in our daily lives. Holy Spirit, illuminate this scripture for us. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, this seems like a really heavy three verses, and it is. It's heavy. I want us to expand this out a little bit. I want us to see some points in this. So, we kind of need to go verse by verse and line by line again, like usual. Until we get to that 11th verse, I'm going to do something a little different with it. But let's, let's take verse 9 first. Verse 9 says, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So let's, let's piece that into two phrases. The first phrase is this. I was once alive apart from the law. Now we know from Scripture that we, when we are in sin, we know that we are dead in our trespasses. It is clear in Scripture, right? So what's Paul talking about? What does this mean? Paul is speaking from his experience, okay? You see, he thought himself fully alive. I mean, he believed he was fully righteous, if you look at wh- where Paul was. He thought he was righteous. He was a Pharisee. And if you look in Scripture, Paul makes it clear that Paul thought a lot of, a lot of Paul when he was Saul. He thought a lot of himself before Christ. He thought, he thought very highly of himself. And that's before God rocked his world and changed his life. He mentions it throughout all the other epistles. And when he talks about, I'm a, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, I was a uh, uh, according to the law. He says, according to the law, blameless. He actually felt those things when he was before Christ. He felt he felt fully alive. He was good. He thought he was much like another Pharisee that we see in Scripture. Let's go to Luke eighteen. In Luke eighteen. Verses nine through 14, we hear a story, a parable of Christ, that could have been Paul. It could have been him, based on how he felt. Luke 18:9 through14 says this: He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So as we look in this text, something jumped out at me as I was reading uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' commentary on this. He kind of talks about this a little bit. This Pharisee sincerely thinks that he's okay. How do we know this? Because he doesn't feel he has to ask God for anything, does he? He thinks he's good. He's fine. I'm good. Everything I have, I'm, I'm fully alive. I'm I'm an awesome Pharisee. He just thanks God that he's not like everybody else. That's how good he thinks he is. He thinks he's fulfilling the law just by fasting twice a week and and giving his tithes and coming to the temple to pray, right? Right? Probably praying really loud so everybody can hear him, right? That's what we've learned about the Pharisees. But look at the tax collector. He is confronted with his sin. And what does he do? He beats his breast and says, God, please have mercy on me. He is asking God for something because he understands that he has nothing to give. Why? Because he is confronted with the law and understands, I am a miserable sinner. Now the Pharisee, he goes to his house probably feeling good, does all the things he's supposed to do, right? Well, it says that the tax collector is the one who goes home justified because he has seen his sin And he has repented and asked God for mercy. Paul was there. He was alive. He said, I was was once alive apart from the law. I thought I was alive. I was doing good. I was fasting twice a week. I was giving my tithes. I was doing this. In fact, I was even killing Christians because of this heresy of Christianity. He thought he was alive. Romans 10:3 says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. That's where we all have been at some point. When we think, I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. God wouldn't send me to hell. I'm a good person. Well, because we've all been there at one point, I hope that we have been at the next point that Paul gets to. He says, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Paul is speaking here. Of looking closely at the law. Examining it. And realizing. I am dead. I am dead in my trespasses. I am dead in my sins. There is nothing to redeem me. Because I am dead. Now in order for us to see. The point he gets to. I want us to examine. The big ten. It's been a long time. Since the big 10 has been read aloud or preached in this church but let's look at it it's essential it's God's law it's his law Exodus 20 verses 1 through 17 this won't take long you ready and God spoke all these words saying I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me and rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and that your lord and that the lord your god is giving you you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor you shall not covet your neighbor's wife you shall not covet your your neighbor's house or his male servant or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, Paul felt like he was nailing it. He was feeling pretty good about himself. And don't we all? Well, I hadn't killed anybody. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't steal. Right? We think we're good. And Paul may have looked at this and said, I don't have any other gods before. God. I only serve the one true God, right? I don't have any uh, idols. I haven't built an idol and put it in my house. I, I don't take the name of the Lord in vain. I, I, I keep the Sabbath. I don't do any work on, on Saturday. I, I honor my father and my mother. I don't, I'm not mean to them. I've never killed I, except for the Christians, that they're supposed to be killed. Um, I don't commit adultery. I don't steal. I don't bear false witness with my neighbor. I don't covet. Covet. That word, covet. You shall not covet. Now, it puts it in the perspective of Our neighbor's house and his wife and his servants. But Paul began to realize something. Covet. To strongly desire. Paul has begun to realize the impossibility of keeping the commandments when he realizes that even his thought and desire breaks the law. Like Jesus said, we talked about it last week you look upon a woman to lust after her you've committed adultery if you hate your brother you've committed murder if you have strong desire for sinful things guess what it's sin when paul begins to realize this he realizes i'm dead i'm not alive i'm dead Now, we all know Paul's conversion story. Paul wasn't in a Billy Graham crusade where he raised his hand and he repeated a prayer after anybody. He wasn't. What happened to Paul? He was on a horse headed to kill Christians and was knocked off that horse by the very one he was persecuting. Listen, God saved Paul. Literally. God saved him. Paul is explaining this work that was done in him when he was given a brand new heart. And that's where verse 10 comes in. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. You see, he thought that he was doing what was required to live. He thought he was doing it. We look at Exodus 19:5, and it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. If, if, Or Leviticus 18.5. We've used this one before and just recently. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. There is a promise of life with the law. But only if you can keep it. And Paul realized he couldn't When Paul doesn't dig into that, but I would speculate that it was at the moment of his conversion. Listen to me. Listen closely. Paul is literally confronted by the spotless, blameless, holy Lamb of God. He meets Jesus Christ. The very Christ that he has been persecuting the very one who knew no sin. In the presence of the one who is holy, our wretchedness comes to the forefront. Look at Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, he was in the presence of the holy God and what did he say? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. When we are confronted with the holy God, our wretchedness is what we see. He must have seen, based on what he writes here, that the law has a requirement of perfection that he can never fulfill. Only Christ can fulfill that requirement. He thought he was good. He thought he was a super religious, spotless, blameless Pharisee. And he began to realize he was a wretched sinner. That sounds like a sad story, doesn't it? Guess what? It's the most beautiful story we could ever hear. It's the most beautiful story we could ever ask for for our lives. I think I'm good, but guess what? I'm a wretched sinner. Verse 11 goes further. And I want you to see something very clearly in in verse 11. So let's go. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, killed me. Again, we see sin seizing an opportunity in us. Not the law being evil because it points out sin. Sinfulness is in us dominating who we are before Christ. Our own sinfulness. The sin we love. Seizing every opportunity to show us how to be even more sinful. Sin will take every opportunity that it can to have us rebel. Against our creator. That's what sin does. Especially by having us break his holy laws. Sin is powerfully deceiving. It makes us say, I'm a great person. You know, I do good things. God couldn't send me to hell. It is ultimately deceptive. And then we begin to underestimate and even diminish sin's powerful influence. This is happening in, in, in churches today that we're seeing this. We call it uh, mistakes. Um, poor decisions. Fails. Or even trauma. Sometimes we call it being real. Or as the kids say, Keeping it 100. Y'all know what I'm saying? But it's sin. No matter what cute name we give it or what cute phrase we say, it is sin. I'm going to define sin for you. I hope this sticks into your brain. Sin is missing God's standard no matter how we feel about it. We don't have a say. If we miss God's standard, it's sin. Period. Sin is deceiving us. So, the greatest deception is in making us think that we're okay. No problem. God loves us. Jesus died to show us just how much he loves us. He didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down to bring us up there with him. What I'm fixing to teach you, I want you to listen very closely to. I want you to pay, pay close attention to everything I'm about to say after this point, okay? I want you to hear me clearly so you do not misunderstand what I say. Because we need to get some things straight. We need to get some things clear about our view of the cross, Okay? I want you to understand that I prayed on this. I studied this. And I'm saying this for our good. Are you ready? I pray that you would pray during this so that you can grasp what what I'm fixing to tell you, okay? Love was absolutely part of Jesus' choice to die on the cross. But... Martin Lloyd-Jones said something that stuck in my craw, and I couldn't let it go, and I felt the Holy Spirit moving me towards teaching this this morning. He said, it is alarming, it is appalling that there should be people prominent in the church, admired as Christians, who hate the cross as a revelation of the righteousness and justice and holiness of God, and see nothing there but love. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? I hope so, because it does me too. This is a hard say. Remember those times when Jesus had to have a, gave a hard saying? This is a hard say, but I don't want you to hear it. Love was absolutely present on the cross. Make no mistake. Greater love has no man than he who would lay his life down for his friend. But we diminish the cross and what it accomplished when for us it's just all about love. We diminish it. So what are we left with when we do that? We're left with a cross robbed of its power as the culmination of the righteous requirement of the law. We cannot rob the cross of its power. The law and the cross, listen closely, the law and the cross go hand in hand. The cross was the instrument where the law was fulfilled. That's where it happened. In the cross, we see some specific things. Do we see the love of God made manifest? Yes, we do. But we also see this. We must see this. If we are to understand what the cross is, we must see this. One, we see the result of the law's righteous requirement. What does the law require? In order to make righteous, very clearly, you've got to bring a lamb to the priest. Why? Because none of you are guiltless. That's what he said to the house of Israel. Every year, you've got to bring your sacrifices because you are not guiltless. You will transgress this law I have given you. Get ready. Get your lamb ready. The law has a righteous requirement. Secondly, on the cross, we see the spotless lamb being slain for our sins. A spotless lamb. Beautiful, sinless, holy, powerful. Dying because of what we've done. We see the sinfulness of our sin on full display. Some would say, well, if God's God, well, he could have just wiped it all away. No, you don't understand sin. Sin is an offense to God. We have offended a holy God with our sin, and the cross shows the sinfulness of our sin. Clearly. Powerfully. And we see... On the cross, fourthly, the wrath of God fully laid upon Christ. Now, that sounds awful. That sounds sad. It is. Why? Because I deserve the wrath. Not him. I deserve it. I'm the sinner. Not Christ. He is without sin. But he took the full wrath of God. And listen, full wrath of God. For whose sin? For all who are in him, for you. He took it all. Why? Because what we don't understand, because we don't hear preaching like like Jonathan Edwards very often. Jonathan Edwards preached a a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he used the description, I've used it before, that God has a, a bow pulled back all the way. How many of y'all have ever pulled a bow back? It can be pretty, pretty tough to hold it for a long time, right, Jaylen? If you've got to hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. And you've got to keep it steady, right? You've got to keep it still. On this bow, he has a flaming arrow of his wrath ready to be launched at you, a sinner. But in his mercy, he's holding it back. To the moment of your death. And then Christ came. And there was a moment in my life when my heart of stone was changed to a heart of flesh. And I repented and I said, God, I don't want to continue in the sin. I don't want to be the same person. I want to trust in Christ. And instantly that bow was turned towards a cross 2,000 years ago when he let go and his wrath was put on Christ. And I don't have to take it anymore. Is that loving? Oh, absolutely. But is that more? Oh, absolutely. That is the power of a redeemer who knows how to redeem. My wrath on my Savior. Lastly, on the cross, we see the full substitutionary atonement for His people. He has taken your place, church. If you are in Christ, He has taken your place. If you are not in Christ, He has not taken your place until you repent and trust in Him. His atonement. on full display on the cross don't diminish the cross a verse that came to mind as I was thinking about this and I was praying on this I know this last part's been different than usual but I think we needed to get some things straight in our hearts I needed to get that straight in my heart but a verse that came to mind was the verse when John the Baptist saw Jesus. In John one twenty nine? John the Baptist, my, my daughter's favorite Bible character is John the Baptist. She loves him. He sees Jesus and he says, says in the verse, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was not just a cute saying. That was an announcement of the power of who Christ was. He was the spotless Lamb. And what did He come to do? To take our sin upon Himself and die on the cross don't usually do this, but Valley of Vision is a a prayer book and devotion book written by the Puritans. If you know me at all, you know I love the Puritans. But I wanted to read you an excerpt of one of these prayer devotions. Um, It's entitled, The Precious Blood. It says this, Blessed Lord Jesus, before thy cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin, my iniquity that caused thee to be made a curse, the evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. Show me the enormity of my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, The bruised body, the dying cries. Thy blood is the blood of incarnate God, its worth infinite, its value beyond all thought. And he finishes it like this He says, Yet thy compassions yearn over me, thy heart hastens to my rescue. Thy love endured my curse. Thy mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in thy blood, tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. The most heinous thing that ever happened on this earth was God Himself murdered on a cross. No thing that's ever happened is worse than that. So when people say, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? R.C. Sproul very eloquently said, well, that only happened once, and He volunteered for it. Christ... Christ what he suffered on the cross brings us into a kingdom everlasting it stamps our passport with new citizenship we are now citizens of heaven well America stinks right now guess what it's going to stink because it's full of sinners sorry that's how it goes It's not going my way. Guess what? America's full of sinners. But my citizenship, your citizenship, if you were in Christ, is in heaven. So your hope, it doesn't lie on this earth anyway. Your hope is eternal. Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, making his enemies his footstool. And one day, he'll return for his church and we'll ever be with him. Amen? Amen. What's better than that? So look at the cross. Look at it full on. Because when you look at the cross, what do you see? Your blood has washed away my sin. The wrath of God that deserved to be poured out on you, that you deserved, poured out on him. Thank you, Jesus. I was once an enemy of God. And now like the song that we love to sing here, as my daughter's, one of my daughter's favorite songs. I was once his enemy, but now I'm seated at his table. Seated at his table. There's no greater love than that. So yes, is the cross full of love? Yep. But don't diminish it by saying it was just Jesus loving us because Jesus endured so much to save us. To save us. It's about His atonement. And now guess what? If you were in Him, you are held Tightly. He holds you fast. He's not going to let you go. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father. For your common mercy that you have given us. Before we ever even knew Christ. We're thankful. That you have held back your wrath. And God you don't just kill us when we sin that first time as as a child, when we lie or we steal. God, your common grace and mercy has been so good to us. And Father, for Jesus, we can't even comprehend the riches of his glorious grace and what he has done and the love that he has shown to, to us who are undeserving. But God, we see the beauty of the cross. We see the beauty of the law. Showing us the need for the cross. And we say, God, we, we're sinners. We, we sin. We're full of a place that's full of sinners. And God, we just know that we need you. We need Christ as our mediator more than we need our next breath. Thank you so much, Jesus, for saving us. That's your blood has washed our sins away. We thank you. Father God, help us as we go forward in our lives to never, ever, ever diminish any part of that. And Father, I can't assume that somebody hearing this knows you and has come and repented and placed their trust in Christ. So God, right now, we ask that you would touch hearts, convict Holy Spirit. Father, draw them unto yourself, that they may repent and believe this gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. We thank you for that. God, we ask you to calm our hearts when we feel that we can't handle it. God, speak peace to our minds when we try to figure things out ourselves. For God, we know that full reliance upon you is the only hope we have in this world. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit living in us. Help us all to be just more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Garrett, can you run back and get them so that we can do our membership? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out all of our social media. The links are in the show notes. Catch us next time on another episode of Small Town Pilgrims Podcast.